Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Well, welcome back to another Common Ground Unity Podcast. This uh, this podcast is designed to bring historians, scholars, church leaders, uh, thinkers, innovators together and have conversations uh, across the streams of the Stone Campbell Movement and Restoration Churches and, as we say, beyond. And our hope is to be more of the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, that we might all be one. So we share thoughts here, but we also uh, share uh, ideas and, and resources and, and make you aware of people that, that perhaps can come alongside and help you in your work. We've had Christian Ray Flores with us last uh, podcast, and he talked about uh, his ministry, Third Drive, which is both a, a business and then it has a faith element to help churches market our message better and get it in front of people, and then the Ascend Mission Fund. So we talked about those things last week. We're going to talk another uh, story about his work in ministry today as well. Uh, so before I reintroduce Chris, you want to say hello to Tina Bruner, our co-host. Tina, how's all in Kentucky? Everything is well, and I'm super excited. Next week, I get to see I get to see the very first co-host, Megan Rawlings, at the International Conference on Missions. So oh, I'll wonderful. be excited to reconnect with her. Give Megan a big hug for us and uh, so appreciate all the work she did with us here at Common Grounds and know she's doing good things with the Solomon Foundation. So good, Tina. Well, great to great to see you. Uh, for those that are listening, Tina is in Kentucky I'm, and I'm out here in California. We do this just on the opposite ends of the country. So it's good to come together this way. And Christian Ray Flores, who's back with us, he's right in the middle in Austin, Texas. Um, Christian as I mentioned last week, has an international background, being from both Chilean and Russian descent. He has lived in Russia, Chile, Germany, and Mozambique. He speaks four languages, has a master's degree in economics. He has been a successful musician, told us a little bit about the story of his music career in Russia, where he was quite well-known in that world and then became a Christian and his life was forever changed and I'm sure is still a, a wonderful musician. Uh, for the kingdom's sake. And he, he's also the co-founder of the ministries and works that we talked about a couple of moments ago, Third Drive and Ascend Mission Fund. He's lived around the globe in Moscow, Kiev, Los Angeles, Miami. And as I mentioned, now he is in Austin, Texas. He's married to Deb. They've got three daughters. Christian, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. How is everything out in Austin, Texas? Beautiful. Uh, it's probably 75 degrees and sunny. Oh, that's wonderful. I lived out there. It must it must be fall in Austin. Yes, it is. There's Those only are... there's only two seasons in Texas, summer and not summer. That's what I hear. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. I remember well. 
wonderful city. Christian, uh, you planted a church tribe, or or we might say a church culture, with or within really, or, or inside we might say, an existing church. Tell us a little bit about that story. That has us intrigued. Well, it was it was really not premeditated, but really sort of came together a certain way. So the, the components of that were the following. We were at the time living, my wife and I and my three children, in California, in Los Angeles, in the San Fernando Valley. And we were sort of in between, we, we had a business called Hollywood World, which is a production company for music and music videos at the time. And we were really wanted to do mission work. And we, because we were connected to Eastern Europe, we wanted to be continue to be connected with that. And in Los Angeles at the time, there were no opportunities specifically for the type of work we wanted to do. That's one component. The second is uh, I had sort of gone through my very wonderful midlife crisis that is really more aptly called uh, sort of a realign, a spiritual realignment um, time. So it was not it was not necessarily a crisis, but almost like an upgrade, right? You you feel like you need to upgrade your game, deconstruct your game, and put it back together. And I emerged from that process that took about three years of sort of searching and digging and and praying and all of that, all of the good stuff, wrestling with this desire to like a really a renewed faith and excitement about the kingdom of God and church and community, all of that. So I had all these very very specific ideas about how church can be. And uh, it just so happened that in Austin, Texas, which I never thought I would live in Texas ever, right? Um, I I had a friend. His name was Dave Hooper. Uh, and Dave Hooper, I knew him since before I became a Christian. He was a, he was a missionary in Russia. And he led a church here called Austin, Texas. Or Austin Christian, rather. Sorry. Um, and he was connected to, to Eurasia to work with Eurasian missions. So there was the, the missions dimension was covered, and he was very eager to have me join that that effort. Uh, and I basically said, "Look, I want to. If I come, I'd like to plant a church. Uh, I don't want a sector or a region. You know, the, in the ICOC, I call them you know that way. I want to plant a church. I want a mission team. I want something that is new, right? Um, and would you? And he goes, "Well, we we sort of." called Austin Christian, but no one lives in Austin. We're all in the suburbs. You know? So <laughs> it's about time to plant, you know, a church in downtown. And I said, perfect. Like, can we, can we do that? He goes, yeah. And I said, look, do you trust me for, to treat it as a, as a church planter, not as a sort of a, a sector leader? Right. Um, and there's a nuance there. I mean, it's not big or small. It is, it is what it is. I said, do you trust me to do it? He goes, yeah, yeah. We've known each other for a long time. It'd be great. We'll help you. We'll, we, I can't really pay you. I'll give you a little stipend, but, can, can you do that? And I said, yes. So that's how, that's the backstory, right? It was delightful. And we came in and, and the idea was to plan something that was very intentional around um, sort of being very culturally relevant in the place where we're in, uh, called it the taste of the place. There's a, there's a wine term called terroir, which basically means anyone, anyone actually chocolate has terroir as well. And cigars have terroir, apparently, which I've learned just recently. But terroir is basically the characteristics of a thing that were inherited from their environment, right? 
So it's the taste of the place. And I wanted the church that was a taste of the place, that it was a church that was in tune with the culture of Austin, the dreams of Austin, the heart of Austin, uh, the poor of Austin, the needs of Austin, the character of Austin, all of that stuff. And not something that is isolated, not something that, you know, sometimes churches plant and, and they sort of treat their thing as the thing that everybody should flock to but are not going to the people and serving them, you know. And I think that's the heart of the early church, of the apostles. They went to where people were. So I wanted to plan something with that kind of level of intentionality. Uh, we thought of, you know, so we dreamt together, my wife and I, about the kind of church we wanted to do. And when we arrived here, what we did is we went to the North Side Church, in Austin Christian Church, and we said, hey, we want to plant a church. Um, and then we would have these these Fridays, we call them Tribe Fridays in our living room. And everyone who was interested in being part of the team, mission team, they would come and we would say, this is what my dream is. What's your dream, right? How about if we do this and don't do that? How about we treat discipleship this way and not that way? How do we reflect the culture of the, of, of, of the church? How, how do we make ourselves entrepreneurial and flexible and creative. So it was just this dr collective dreaming that happened on Tribe Fridays in my living room that created almost a kind of ethos, right? And it's it, the cool thing is that it, we, we weren't doing it from a standpoint of arrogance or this is the way it should be, but really more like, look at this is what I, I want to, this is what I feel called to do in, in, in the through the Holy Spirit. And then other people added to that. And, th and some people actually, it deterred some, some people, which was great. Because we were like, look, if this is not your cup of tea, fine. That's wonderful. Please don't join us, actually. Thank you for not joining us, right? Um, so it sort of attracted the right people, detracted some others. And then a year later, we planted the church in downtown. And it was a miraculous story of the, even how the, we got the space. We meet, still meet in, this, in the most professional theater in downtown Austin called Zach Scott Theater. And we've been there for nine years now. So that's the backstory. Tell us a little bit more about some of the distinctives. Like that's definitely a distinct way of beginning. But what are some distinctives of of the way that Trab looks now, like leadership-wise or the way that you engage the community or the structure of leadership? What are, Just share with us some of the things that are distinctive about Trab. So um, I'll, I'll give you sort of a fast list, and, and uh, there's so many, you know, because it's we've been at it for a while. But I would say, like, first, it's a flat organization, right? So I'm I'm the I'm the lead. I'm the church leader there. Um, but to me, it's not a rank; it's a role. And there's a distinction between rank and role, right? A role is something that is given to you temporary, and if if it works great, and then eventually you you move on, and it's not a rank. Um, and yes, of course, there's an element of authority there, obviously, but it's really more of a flat organization. There's no layers to it. It's just people people com uh, interact mostly in small groups, and small groups go for about nine months. Then we have a break, um, and small groups are, you know, another distinction. For example, many churches, small small groups are sort of organized by a, gr a, gr a leadership group, right? They're assigned, sort of, you know. Obviously, no one makes anyone do anything, but they're assigned. Our, our, we have almost like a free market uh, model where people just pick. You want to start a small group? Find, start a small group. You know, 
there's really no precondition to it. I mean, besides following the Bible, right? Uh, so people can start a small group as a dinner party. They can have a, start a small group uh, in a park. It doesn't have to be a certain day or a certain hour. Really, the the desire there is to just be a witness to each other's lives and walk together in Christ. So there's a lot of creativity that comes with that and a lot of freedom. Um, and anyone can go to any group. And we just ask people to stick with the group because you develop intimacy, you're sort of your the walls come down of trust and you invest and it's hard to connect with people deeply so just give it give it at least nine months right don't just jump ship you know so so it's a very it's we have an emphasis on on being doing life together as not just a buzzword but it's a reality and experience the way of being um in tribe um we have also, I think, a bit, uh, quite a bit of voices of the community heard every Sunday. So uh, I preach most Sundays, but we have this segment in church that is called Tribe Stories. And usually what we do is I, you know, we have a topic. Let's say I'm talking about generosity, right, um, or stu- financial stewardship. And, and I can sort of unpack that in one way, but then the tribe story is about an illustration how that looks like, what that looks like in real life. So we have two or three people or a couple or two or three singles or whatever saying, this is how I wrestled with it. This is where I landed. This is how it looks like in my life. So almost almost every Sunday, the community is speaking to the community, um, not just me, right? Um, and I think that's, a, that's something that has been just a really... Like this isn't in our DNA. As a matter of fact, the next two, three Sundays, for example, starting this Sunday, I'm doing two, three Sundays where I'm not even preaching. I'm just leading a panel discussion. So I have some scriptures and some framing questions, but the whole Sunday sermon that ends with a, with a prayer for communion and a sharing of the Lord's Supper is four or five people speaking about the topic, right? So that's another characteristic. Um, the other one is that we wanted to build a church that doesn't lose um, relational texture, and um, both experientially and sort of you know, scientific, there's all kinds of studies made about that. That that the number where beyond which you start losing that texture, where you you start sort of stop recognizing even the name, you know, or the face is about 150, right? So you start transitioning over 150, you start losing relational texture. It feels more than a more like a crowd than a village. So our sort of, by design, we basically said, look, we're not going to, we will never be a mega church. What we're doing is we're multiplying churches, not just multiplying disciples that meet at a, at a place. Uh, because we want to keep a very intimate, flat, relational texture. Um, and uh, that's that's another characteristic of tribe is the from the beginning basically that was sort of hardwired into it. Is it difficult when it comes time to make that transition to another community and and establishing that? I would assume you're establishing that with some existing folks. Is that transition hard, or do you foresee it when it happens being hard? Yes, we've only done it once. We've planted a, a church in the east side of Austin, which very originally we called the East Side. Uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> um, that was hard. Uh, it was, it was both, it was, it was, culturally it was easy because we already, we were like, we, we've always, we've always said that this is what we're going to do. So now we're doing it. So that was very exciting. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think logistically it's hard, right? Because you're letting go a lot of the time of your best people, right? Your best people, the people that, People that go on mission mission teams, they're the the people that are 
most most of the times are mostly engaged in the local ministry, right? So you you I mean, and we're not even large in the first place. So you miss you 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 send away your best people, people are that are organizing your service teams or people that are doing your kids program or people that are in your worship team and your second in command as a sort of associate pastor type person, you're, you're sending them away. And so there's a pain related to that and there's logistical pain and everything sort of goes down a bit, right? <laughs> the, the excitement and the, you know, cause the crowd is less and everything. Uh, and yet I think there's something that sort of mimics nature, right? Is that you cut off some branches and the tree becomes stronger. So yes. more people step up, people that were sort of in the back row can't hide anymore and they have to come back, come and, and sort of get some hands on some stuff. So I think it revives the community um, at the same time, although there's, def- there's definitely a pain of, of releasing that. Um, yeah. um, that makes sense. Pluck, take that branch off and put it elsewhere. You've got a little bit of rebuilding time at the you home church that is planted. Very, very interesting. Talk talk to us a little bit about the culture there. It seems that servant leadership and caring for the marginalized is a very important part of your focus. And if I'm I'm correct there, can you speak to the importance of this focus in ministry and and the way you see it as far as the gospel of Jesus? Uh, I think it's it's central, um, but it's not easy. I think, you know, in America, it's... it's just we sort of segregate our poor, you know. Um, I mean, I would say the marketplace segregates our poor, right? We, you know, I live in West Austin. I mean, everybody here is middle class, right? I just don't see anyone who's un- hungry. Uh, I see people who are spiritually poor, but not physically poor. So that's much harder to you. You need to sort of double down on the intentionality of that. Um, and I, I honestly don't think we've done as well as we could have done in that. It's more of an aspiration. Um, but to give you an example, we have what we do. And I, I really don't think we're excelling, uh, um, to be honest. Um, we we have a beautiful pre-Christmas event that we do every year, and we give gifts and a home a, a, a meal to, to poor thousands of kids who are... Um, tour in in the poor areas of East Austin, generally speaking, uh, we do that. We we serve in the uh, um, in in a place called the Refuge, which is a place for sex trafficked um, um, women, girls. Um, um, we have back to back to school drives. We have several events that are like that. Um, um, that are or, that are organized by by different members of the church. One around Thanksgiving, where we give away thousands of meals in in turkeys and things like that, and take them to the poor. So we have sort of these these events that happen as an event, and then some ongoing stuff. Uh, my wife is probably the most serving person I know of all of us, to be honest with you, because she also serves at the Disaster Relief uh, Network, which is a Christian-based organization. It's amazing. They do amazing stuff. Um, so we have a few a few things that are ongoing, a few things that are sort of one event at a time. Um, and it's it really helps us, I think, feel connected to the community. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're very good at it. Um, so I'm not bragging. I'm sort of saying we're trying, right? Yeah. One of your minutes, I think that's... Uh- something we can all say that that we can do better and um 
Yeah, I appreciate the examples that you shared. One of your ministry principles is transformation and not behavior modification. Dallas right. Willard talks about when the, the identified people of Christ reach a certain level of growth and don't go on, they limit their evangelistic potential. Dallas mm-hmm. seems to be saying that our transformation, not just conforming, can be extremely powerful in our witness. Do you agree with his thinking? And how do you see spiritual growth or transformation and our evangelistic potential being connected? Um, that's a very good question. I have to th- I have to sort of pause and think about this. Well, I think what Jesus wants is not conformity. He, he Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. I mean, the whole beginning of our journey is being born again, right? Um, and I think... The, the tension that happens once you, if you're immersed in a culture where Christianity is institutionalized, essentially, right? That is sort of the mainstream thing, which is changing rapidly right now. But um, is that, especially in places where there's a prevailing culture that is, it's not really Christian culture, it's churchianity rather than Christianity, Um it's that you you expect to behave a certain way. There's certain norms in society, which is not all bad, actually. Honestly, I'd rather have most people fake it, but try to be decent human beings behaviorally. At least it gives us some peace and prosperity. But then we have to transition beyond that, obviously, if we want to be close to God and be be in community and be a transformational element and agent of the kingdom in 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 this world. And I think that's where the tension comes in, because that's harder, right? You can change behavior, you can fake it, but you're not going to be transformed unless you surrender fully, unless you experience God, not just think about God, unless you know Jesus, not know about Jesus, unless you walk the talk and that not just, you know, sort of virtual signal, virtual signal, in, in on a Sunday or a Monday or any other day, so um, so it's just a, not an, a very easy task. But I think it's a it's a it's the only way to to make it real, right? For me, like I don't want to spend my life playing church, basically. As neither as a Christian or as a church leader. As a church leader, it's even worse, right? That's a, what a joke. Why would I spend my life? leading other people in playing church. I want to have eternal impact. So as a church leader, I choose to teach about the spiritual disciplines, about repentance, about vulnerability, about the, the, the struggle, the messy middle of the Christian way. I, church, I surround myself with people who want to be in that same place. Um, and sort of my prayer is that if we're authentic enough together, this will this will translate as a as an authentic enough community where some people who want to be authentic they will be attracted to this kind of community where you can't hide, you don't want to hide, you want to be transformed, and then people who want to play church they'll just go to a place where people play church. Another another one of the tribe principles that we read about is, is this idea of belong before you become an interesting phrase there. Tell us a little bit about the thinking behind that statement and how you see it relating to creating healthy relationships and churches. 
Well, I think it stems from it stems from the Gospels. I th- I want to think right. It's inspired by it, and if you remember, like just the journeys of of the the first disciples, right? Gosh, they they belonged, right? They felt like they were part of a community, but it took a, a while to become the apostles they became. It just did, and that gap between belonging and feeling. I want to follow Jesus and then becoming transformed, transformed into a completely different human being that changes the world. That's what I'm talking about here. Um, now there's, I think all of us who read the Bible, we see that and we're inspired by that. Well, in reality though, if you start looking at church culture, oftentimes you are expecting people who are coming into the community to become before they belong, right? So they have to jump through hoops. They have to check three or four boxes. And then, and, and sort of in our mind, I think what, the way we rationalize that is that, well, we're just making sure that our church is, you know, consists of real disciples, real followers, real believers. So you can rationalize it that way, but I think it just goes against the spirit of, of Christ and how he operates it, operated with the church. It goes against uh, the the way the early church became the early church, and it inspires that this way, us this way. But we just wanted to create an environment where people feel loved right away and feel like they belong. You know, because you can make them feel, look, we we like you, we're happy you're here, but you know you're not in the club yet until you do A, B, and C. That's what we're trying to avoid. Right, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of in a very practical way. Look, you can be part of a small group. You can be like we had a guy who came in who was not even baptized, and he started playing bass in the worship band, uh, and that's unheard of in many sort of church circles. And he was, but he was he belonged, right? He was studying the Bible. He was changing his life. He was he was in the journey. He hasn't even baptized yet, but he wanted to serve because he's a musician, and. Um, and and some people sort of frowned upon it, but that was the culture. The culture was like, look, if you want to serve, you want to give your heart, go for it, man. You know, you belong. We're not going to make you through to jump through hoops that are not necessarily biblical hoops. <laughs> you know? I know of some churches that say that you can belong before you believe, and I like the framing of belong before you become because it doesn't put the expectation that the ultimate goal is for you to believe and that's why we're letting you belong. Right. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it really, I mean, words are words, but how you, how you embody the words is what matters, right? In culture. So, but that's how we embody the words. We just want people to feel, to feel that they love, they're loved unconditionally. That's all. Ephesians 4.3 calls us to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Again, another tribe principle is disagreement is not disunity, which I love so much. Can you speak to the role of the Holy Spirit in finding unity in the midst of diversity and even disagreement? Yes. I, I, one of my favorite, and I think I've actually mentioned that, sort of alluded to that in either this podcast or the previous one is, is this the story of the Gentiles becoming Christians? And it was, although Jesus consistently spoke about this, it was still a surprise, a cultural shock to the the Jewish believers. 
and and it 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 feels like they were you know obviously we didn't didn't have as much communication as we do where news travel instantly. Um, so it took a conference essentially coming together of Gentiles and Jewish believers to discuss this thing and does the law apply and do they have to follow all the commandments all of the tradition all of that stuff right circumcision was a big deal and I mean think about that that is a massive deal circumcision just if you focus on that alone that is a massive deal it could have split any modern church in a, in 15 seconds if people just stuck with that. But look at what they did. They came together and they spoke and they poured their hearts out and they loved each other and it unified them, right? I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing, just mind-boggling way to be unified in the face of something that could be profoundly divisive. So that's that's sort of the, the spirit of, of what I what I believe the church should follow and be inspired by. Um, and I mean, we have things that are not even, not even biblical mandates that are dividing us these days, right? Like, I mean, every, every election cycle, we get Christians who are Republicans be mad at Christians who are Democrats and vice versa. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's not even in the Bible. Um, I mean, it's not even close to, to a circumcision level issue, right, in, in, in its centrality to the faith. And yet we can find a lot of fragmentation and uh, quite a bit of animosity emerge from that kind of culture. So I would say sort of priming the, priming the culture and talking about, um, look, it, it, you, you disagree. It's a beautiful thing to disagree. Um, let's talk about this, but let's talk about this from the standpoint of scripture specifically. And I think probably the 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 big the big distinction between what I feel we're we're trying to do here, um, in contrast with with churches who are essentially embracing no biblical authority, is the Bible. Like we can we can have all kinds of intuitions and instincts, or even cultural uh, leanings. Uh, about let's say gender, which is a, a big discussion these days, or um, same-sex attraction, for example. And disagreement is is fantastic, and voice and creating a safe place where people can say, "I have my doubts. I just I just can't reconcile this." Uh, I you know, especially for younger people, uh, some of the stuff is becoming completely mainstream or even taught in in schools and public schools and things like that. So it's very it's. It's a mainstream wave of 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 shifts of of, of worldviews. So, what is not authentic about saying I can't? It's hard for me to reconcile what I what I hear in scripture, what I hear in the in the church, and what I see in culture. And I'm sort of leaning towards culture. And is it okay for me to doubt or to question? And the answer is absolutely, it's okay. And yet, ultimately what we need to use scripture as our authority that is that trumps our cultural preferences our our leanings um and our even our desires right we desire what god desires not my will but thy will be done so i think if if you keep that the the core authority beyond that there's so much freedom to operate in, in a in a place of that is safe that full of grace uh full of openness um, and I think you can, I, th I think that sort of takes us through 
some of those storms that we're facing right now, if we just stay faithful to that kind of fine line. Christian, it has been great to have you with us for these two podcasts, and uh, you've you've challenged our thinking. You've you've inspired hopefully some innovation in, in us to to think well about how we make first impressions for the gospel and help to create hunger and thirst. Uh, the innovative way you're approaching tribe, uh, we we wish you God's blessings and look forward to hearing perhaps future stories. We hope you'll return. Uh, sometime for a follow-up visit. But is there anything else you'd like to kind of share with our listeners before we get away from this podcast? Yes. You know, I, I would just inspire, um, I want to, I just want to say thank you for, for Common Grounds, for even creating a platform of diversity of thought uh, within the framework of, of biblical truth. And I just want to encourage you to listen to more of these, to participate, to engage with your full self in these discussions because they're they're transformative potentially um and uh i just love i i love platforms and collectives and communities where people from different um church tradition traditions or even church streams come together because um that's where the best ideas are born right once again within the framework of biblical truth you know, one one of the organizations I was a founding member of is Renew.org, and it was sort of a similar thought: is that look, wow, there's so much we can learn from each other, so much we can learn from each other, uh, and yet we can be so easily um, siloed in our practices and our culture, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's what a tragedy that is, right? Imagine oh, if the imagine if the, if the if Paul and his companions and the Gentile uh, believers wouldn't go to the Jerusalem church. Mm. I mean, what a loss for all of us, right? Mm. Downstream, thousands of years later. Imagine if if the Jerusalem uh, church never sent anyone to the Gentile churches and be blown away by the, by the, by the Holy Spirit that was blessing and moving powerfully in the Gentile churches. What a loss for all of us would that be? Right. Amen. Uh, Amen. So that's sort of probably the last thing I want to say is that just let's let's not look up to God, but look side to side to people doing great things for Christ. I love that, Christian. That's really at the heart of common grounds. You know, we we we're a group of people that started looking around and 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 some of us for a long time at the uh, the disunity and this this movement of people who love Jesus, who who. Boy, I want to seek the kingdom and see it advance, who love God's word. And yet uh, we've got so much in common, and yet we're, we don't know one another. Yeah. And, and so at the heart of this is how do we bring people together in this, this movement that kind of was grounded in unity and start having conversations and getting to know one another and getting to know some of the good things that are happening across the, the streams and have greater unity. So, boy, you've contributed in a big way, and I love those final comments. They really strike at the heart of what we're trying to do here. So thank you for being a part of this. We got one last question though, that um, we always ask. I, I spent a lot of years in Austin. There are some great coffee shops in Austin. What, what a great city. Uh, and by the way, I've got a great love for that place. I'm, I'm glad there's people like you and others making a big deal out of Jesus there and lifting them up and uh, building uh, churches. 
but here's this is kind of the last kind of heavy question. If Tina and I were to, you know, come into the middle of the country, come to Austin there and have a cup of coffee with you. Um, how, how do you take your coffee? Oh, I'm, I am, um, probably not the best. I'm not a snob. Unfortunately, my, my youngest daughter takes it black and she's very, very, uh, picky, you know, um, I just take it with the sweet creamer, which is just embarrassing, but that's the way I take it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we don't build our fellowship around how you take your coffee. We just want to know how you do it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank well, you. Thanks for asking. We'd love to do that. Tina, do you have anything else to say? Nope. I'm super encouraged. Every single episode, I feel like I've learned so much and it really does, uh, enhance my walk with Christ. And so I'm really thankful and grateful uh, to have gotten to talk with Christian and um, really appreciate the resources that you have made available for, for Christ's bride, for God's bride. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank if, you very much. If you want to get a little bit more background into Christian's very interesting story, go to, go to the Wikipedia site. Ooh. And look up, is that okay for me to say that? Yeah. <laughs> look up Christian Ray. What a background and what a story. <laughs> and it, it might help you to even hear some of the things he's sharing and why his heart is where it is differently. Um, so Christian, uh, God's blessings on you. Look in the show notes as well. You'll find the websites and places where you can learn uh, more about or access Third Drive, uh, what we talked about in our last podcast and the Ascend Mission Fund. Listeners, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to joining you again next time for another conversation around our common grounds in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.